Our biblical passage today is the psalm, uh, the lectionary assigns to this Sunday. It is Psalm 107, and I will be reading verses 23 through 32, and then we'll jump to the last verse in the psalm, verse 43. Hear now the word of the Lord. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the mighty waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted the the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad, because they had quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Let those who are wise give heed to these things and consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, through music and through prayer and through spoken word, speak to us that we might be comforted by your reliability and be reliable to others. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. For five out of the last eight years, Maggie and I have spent part of our summer vacation on Swans Island, Maine, an island about halfway up the state off Acadia National Forest. The island is home to 330 people year-round, nearly all of whom earn their living harvesting lobsters from the sea, as did their forebears who settled the island in the 1700s. Another six or seven hundred people join in July and August, the only real months of summer. But many of these summer people actually have connections to the islanders, to those who live there year-round. A handful of people have built lavish summer homes, but not many. On the last night this past summer, the Swans Island, on our last night this last summer, The Swans Island Lobster and Marine Museum, a collection of old lobster artifacts and equipment in a small house near the dock, sponsored a talk by one of the retired lobstermen recounting stories from the days of old. We had spoken with this man and his wife in the pew next to us at church, in the one store the island has, and in the library to which we retreated every day to connect to Wi-Fi and for some reason to check on the news of the world. Maggie and I were the last people to arrive at the museum, and when they saw us getting out of our car, it was obvious they held up the start of the program until we got into the building, signed in, 
and walked through the crowd to the standing room section at the back of the three rooms, all eyes following our journey. What struck me about the evening was that of the 150 or so people crowded into the three rooms of the museum, nearly everyone was a local, an islander, a year-round resident. It appeared that these folks had come out on one of the final evenings of summer to hear stories they had undoubtedly heard before from someone they had likely known their entire lives. Surely there was nothing new under the sun, but they had come to listen as if the sun were rising for the first time. Though the sea was all most of them had ever known, it had not lost its power to give birth to stories worth hearing and hearing again. Precisely halfway through the 43 verses of Psalm 107, our selection for this Sunday, the psalmist turns his attention to the sea. The turn seems sudden and unexpected. The first 22 verses of the psalm, which we did not read, the psalmist has praised God for God's deliverance of people who've been driven from their homes and their land as refugees. The psalmist has praised God for bringing out of darkness and gloom those who have been imprisoned, including some who are guilty. And the psalm has praised God for healing people whose illnesses have drawn them near to the gates of death. So when the psalmist turns his attention to people who, quote, go down to the sea in ships doing business in the mighty waters, it seems a bit curious. Why go from scenes of human suffering and rescue to scenes of those drawn to what Melville calls the watery part of the world? Why move from refugees and prisoners and people terminally ill to those who go down to the sea in ships? The psalmist's interest in seafaring is consistent with artists throughout the ages. His words actually inspired the opening paragraph to Melville's Moby Dick. Whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, I count it high time to get to the seas as soon as I can. The psalmist inspired the British poet John Maysfield to write, I must go down to the seas again for the call of the running tide is a wild call and a clear call that cannot be denied. And it inspired both Henry Purcell and Herbert Sumison to write anthems two centuries apart, each entitled, They That Go Down to the Sea in Ships. The psalmist is clear that what initially attracts him to the sea is its sheer beauty, indeed the spiritual experience of seafaring. They see the deeds of the Lord, he says, God's wondrous works in the deep. For God commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. Though Maggie and I have not yet ventured out on a lobster boat, me being the hesitant one, 
One reason we go to this island is for the sheer beauty that it provides. From the upstairs bedroom of the house we rent, the sun rises over the bay as the boats go out every morning. We walk to the lighthouse where we observe the sun so slowly setting behind the islands in the distance while the lighthouse bell clangs. And we drive to rocky beaches on, which, on every side of the island which provide expansive views of the blue waters of the Atlantic and the timeless sound of wave-hitting rock. Like the psalmist, we feel that we mount up to heaven. But over the years, it is not just the sea and the land that have provided us beauty in this place. We have also encountered people whose lives exhibit the quiet and constant and reliable beauty of the land and the sea. An empty nest couple who left their highly paid professional lives in Connecticut in the suburbs to move to the island, buy its one general store, deliver every package which comes on to the island, make certain every prescription finds the patient for whom it was prescribed, order special food for summer residents with expensive tastes and special food for islanders with restricted diets and simply be the community hub the island needs. In the small church we attend, we've observed a short, stocky man about my age sit in a pew near the front attached to his oxygen tank his service animal nearby at his feet. The man remains seated for the hymns. And whenever the labor of breathing seems to overtake and panic him, he reaches down and pets the service dog on the back of the net, neck. And his breathing seems to calm and ours does too. Twice we've been greeted at the door by a thin, no, a gaunt usher in the same overalls he wore the prior summer. He looks down at his feet when he hands us a bulletin. But who, when the minister calls him forward to read the scripture, carries his black Bible down the aisle, stands tall behind the pulpit, looks at the congregation in the eye, and recites with deliberate diction the words of the King James Version. Some who go down to the sea in ships see the deeds of the Lord. God's wondrous works in the deep. But just as the psalmist expresses that the sea can lift us on waves so high we can almost reach out and touch the face of God, the psalmist narrates that our return to the surface of the sea can sometime occur, sometimes occur with a crash. Some who go down to the sea in ships, the psalmist says, go down into the depths. Their courage melts away in their calamity. 
they reel and stagger like drunkards and their wisdom leaves them. This summer we noticed handmade signs along the main road indicating that a French restaurant had opened on the island. Something both French and restaurant that had been missing for several years. One evening we followed the signs to a distant corner of the island where down a gravel road we found a small frame house with a front porch, tables and chairs set up in the yard, and kitchen equipment visible on the side of the porch. A 13-year-old boy greeted us in black slacks and a white shirt. As he walked us from our car to the porch, we asked where the restrooms were. My dad and I don't have any restrooms for customers, he said. But we sat down anyway. The boy's father came out, a gentle, bearded man in a white apron, a bit younger than us. He told us the three types of crepes that were on the menu. He took our order, and when he brought us our crepes, as we were the only customers, he sat at the table with us, his son seated on a bench nearby. When we told him we were ministers, always a mistake, (laughs) he shared that he was an Anglican priest, no longer serving a church, recently divorced, the father of five children, the youngest of whom was the Mater D. He had visited the island in the fall, seen the house for sale, bought it outright with the divorce settlement he had received, paying a smaller amount for the full sale of the house than we in this region put down for down payments. I came here To heal, he said. I came here to start over. When he served me a dessert crepe, he poured his homemade maple syrup over it. And I noticed that a dead fly appeared. I know this is kind of gross, but... He saw it and apologized and lifted it out with the edge of a knife. I said... Don't worry about it. I still gave him a big tip. (laughs) We took his son to the movie at the library and then drove his son home asleep and delivered him once again to his father. I don't know if the man in his crest will make it through another cold winter there. He might. Some who go down to the sea in ships go down to the depths. Later in the week, despite living in Washington and being saturated with the divisiveness of politics in this town, we went to a town hall meeting. Not the kind that we've become accustomed to watching on TV in which citizens come out to shout down their local member of Congress or U.S. Senator but rather a genuine New England town hall where citizens vote on recommendations from their local board of selectmen. Now it seems that Swans Island, like many rural counties in our country, 
has a growing opioid problem. A few years ago, they hired their first resident sheriff, pay him a salary, provide him and his family with an apartment they fixed up over the post office. In the years since he has been since he was hired, his three children have grown, but the apartment hasn't. So the select men, which despite its name does contain women, propose to the citizens that they add a bit to their property taxes to expand the apartment for the sheriff and his growing family. Now by televised town hall standards, this meeting was civil, but beneath the surface, it wasn't really. Some of the debate got personal, some got accusatory. The sheriff and his wife and his children were there and the sheriff spoke. But for the second year in a row, the proposal to expand the apartment was voted down by a clear majority. I suppose next summer if we return there, there'll be a new sheriff in town or perhaps no sheriff at all. In either case, I imagine there will still be an opioid problem. The solutions for which we turn to politics seems stuck at so many levels in our country, in our world. Some who go down to the sea in ships go down to the depths. It is the human condition wherever we go. So after presenting both the heights of beauty and the depths of loss, after presenting both vain and blessing, the psalmist affirms a theme he repeats over and over throughout all 43 verses of this psalm. They cry to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out from their distress. Just as God will do for Jonah in a few books of the Bible later, and just as Christ will do in the New Testament, God makes the storm be still, the psalmist says, and the waves of the sea are hushed. This promise is given to all who go down to the sea. It is given to all who remain back on the land. I wish I could say that every wave returns to the sea before it does damage, that every storm is stilled before it becomes destructive, that every disease is stopped before it claims its first victim. I wish I could say that every international crisis will end before words are spoken that cannot be taken back, before the first sword is drawn, the first bomb is dropped. But you know that I cannot make that promise. And neither does the psalmist. But in a psalm that is both eloquent and realistic about the height and depths we experience as human beings, the psalmist closes with these words. Let those who are wise give heed to these things and consider the steadfast reliable love of the Lord. 
My friends, even when our lives are marked by multiple tragedies and loss, by sustained grief and intractable situations, even when our times are uncertain and our memories are the only pleasure we seem to have, there is the promise that if we will stand back and look at all of creation, if we will stand back and look at all of history, if we will stand back and look at all of God's ways in our lives, what we in our wisdom, our steering of the ship through life, can consider and give heed is the steadfast love of the Lord. It is that love that prevails in our history, in our lives, beyond our lives, as we live in our day and await that day when the wave lifts us gently to heaven, leaves us at its doorstep, and returns in peace. But those who are wise give heed to these things. A man calmed by petting his service dog. An usher looking people in the eye as he reads the scripture. And maple syrup cleansed by the edge of a knife as pure as communion wine. The steadfast love of the Lord. Amen.